0: For our 29th Night Rule, I was extremely pleased to be joined by Hannah Feldman for a wide ranging and uh, fun conversation. Our intro today is from the Earthbound original soundtrack composed by Suzuki Geichi and Tanaka Hirokazu. The name of this song is Your Name, Please. And the outro will be from Yashua. The name of this track is Fly Day Chinatown. So without any further ado, this is Night Rule. Yeah, it is. It is. It is ultimately the ultimate cliche to like meet a Canadian guy online, and it's like, oh, so what, what's your deal? It's like, yeah, well, you know, I started a hockey podcast a while ago, and then that was really fun. So I'm branching out from that. It's like as though like all Canadians just like start with hockey and, and work their way out.
1: I've um I've been doing a lot of things in quarantine that um it's like I'm acting as a character that's a parody of myself. You know, um like I've gotten it really into Antiques Roadshow <laughs> over the past oh, couple totally. of days.
0: Perfect, I'm obs- perfect thing to get into right
1: now. I'm obsessed. It's, I mean, it's everything. And this is, again, I'm a pair. I, I got a repetitive stress injury from crocheting. Oh,
0: nice.
1: And then I switched and then I got another repetitive stress injury from embroidery. And so my friends ask, it's, my friends ask me how I'm doing. And I'm like, oh my God, my neck. I'm in so much pain. It's radiating pain. I'm losing my mind. They're like, oh my God, what happened to you? Are you okay? I'm like, well. Ah. I was, cr- I was crocheting real hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's first world problems, but like, that's some real shit. I'm sure you can really, really fuck yourself up doing that. It hurts. Like, it's kind of repetitive. I mean, this it reminds me of a joke my an ex-girlfriend told me way back in university days. She was talking about how like, you know, back in the day in settler times, the men were, would come in from, from working the farm all day, all sweaty and disgusting. They're like, oh, I worked hard all day. What did you do? And the wife just says, look, I just was here fucking knitting for eight hours, you son of a bitch. Like, my head I can't, <laughs> I can't move my fingers anymore. <laughs> um, okay, well, welcome, everybody. We're on uh, our 29th night roll. Uh, we're so happy to be joined by uh, Hannah Feldman for tonight's exciting and fresh episode. Let me just change oh. my really my really distracting video filter even though we're in the non-visual version. And I'm also talking about this, so it po- couldn't possibly be a more annoying way for me to do what I'm doing. I
1: appreciate, I, I think it's so important to paint a picture with your words for the listener. You know, show don't tell. But if you can't show,
0: have you seen any of the movies that have come out recently where it's like a lot of computer screen integrated into it? Like I watched this one on Netflix was about this missing girl and it was mostly told via a computer screen. So it like started with someone like booting a computer up and you'd see the mouse moving over the screen. And then, you know, all this, she, uh, she goes missing. And then her father starts looking through her social media posts and blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's like
1: a simulated, like a simulated computer screen.
0: Yeah. That one was actually pretty good. I watched a documentary recently on Netflix that was actually produced by like I think Ron Howard and like Brian Grazer like two super producers but uh, it was about the uh, Cecil Hotel. You know oh yeah. The, hotel?
1: the dead but, like, girl in the water tank.
0: It was from Vancouver. Oh was fun was fact. Vancouver. Fun fact. Fun fact everybody. Um, and uh, I remember like the whole movie they were. They were kind of <laughs> I'm way sorry. To be-
1: Canada we have dead girls too
0: oh we got lots are you kidding me like there's like a highway by here where women uh from like oh I listened to like, that Dateline. just go to fucking like disappear there's like like I think the human traffickers are it's like everywhere it's,
1: it, it's it's not murder highway but it's like
0: yeah uh highway missing women or something I can't remember yeah because I I'm really... familiar
1: with I'm familiar with that one where it's Notorious, especially for indigenous women and oh sorry, First Nations women and
2: it's right by here. Yeah.
1: It's not investigated. But I just listened to a dateline like two days ago that there was a woman who went missing along the highway and everyone was speculating about it being part of this trend. And her husband did it. (laughs) Really? Like 30 years later, they like looked at it again and like her husband just did it.
0: Can I ask you a question? Does my voice yeah. just sound way better right now than it did before? Yes. I was using the wrong microphone. I hate when I do that. It makes me want to bite off my fingers.
1: Ooh, um, I just let me can but, I tell you something.
0: Not not as significant a social issue as uh, you know the structural racism that leads to hundreds upon hundreds of Indigenous Canadian women going missing, but you know also also annoying.
1: I oh, yeah. um, don't feel bad. I interviewed a seventy year old oh. lawyer uh, for my show, and he also had the same issue. So mm. you're in good well, company.
0: We've like literally all got like 15 different surveillance enabled devices plugged into every computer and like spewing from every orifice of some kind of disgusting disease from some science fiction movie in the nineties with like bad CG and like no real story. Yeah, that's one so sentence. It's, that's one sentence. So yeah, it's, it's a funny, like that's the kind of stuff I'm glad you know about that. I'm glad Americans know about that a little bit because people still have this uh, idealized view somehow of Canada as being like this amazing place just because of the socialized medicine. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But uh, we are also deeply. There's some deep problems here as well.
1: All my cards on the table. I did uh, listen to your last most recent episode. Oh no! So I am. I apologize. Aware Let me
0: apologize first of all.
1: I am. No, no, no. I am aware that I'm a revenge fuck.
0: Oh really? What for? Oh, oh, because I, I. that has nothing to do with it. No, I've never. I don't. I don't even know what that. Term this is.
1: man. This I'm man scandalous. insulted my Canadianness. So I booked his daughter on my podcast. No, actually
0: I booked, I booked you right before he did that was the funny thing. And then I was like, like, well, what are we going to do now? I was like, well, I can't cancel her out of, out of bitterness. Like, I mean, I need to find another way to be petty and (laughs) and vindictive because as a, you know, to steal a joke, as a petty and vindictive person, I have to work extra hard to appear not petty and vindictive, you know? It's like being a woman. Me? Yes, exactly. This is what they've been telling me my whole life in one form or another. But Well, no, uh... it's,
1: it's, it's the first step in resilience, Um, like building up the resilience to someone shitting on you and you're not supposed to get upset uh, is finding out how to move forward, pretending that you're not acting out of spite Mm. while ultimately playing a really complex long game right?
0: um, to get your ultimate revenge. That is so true. That is just, that whole analogy was just, wow. Thank you. Wow. Thank you you so much. Um, Well, actually, I, I, I asked him on the show, obviously, months ago, and he was well, when we say and
1: when we say him,
0: like, well, no, we're not going to say him. We he, we shall not. We're not going to say name. his name. No. Okay. No. Not for now.
1: <laughs> okay. It's like Gossip Girl.
0: <laughs> it's funny or not to I think actually because people will be like, what the fuck are they talking about? I mean, your last name is Hannah Feldman. Obviously, your grandfather is Corey Feldman. Yes, so, my so, name is Hannah
1: Hannah Feldman. My last name is Hannah Feldman. My full name is Hannah Hannah Feldman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've had like four cups of tea. What do you want from me? It's it's Saturday afternoon. I have I have like a whole lot of tea to drink before it becomes hockey time. And then um, I'll be ready for beer.
1: Sorry. I thought it was a safe space for me to pick apart your words. Um, um, it, it is. I mean, well,
0: if you listen to the last uh, episode, you know that the words that should be on my gravestone should be, he should have chosen his words more carefully.
1: I love that. It's going to be, love that.
0: <laughs> it's going to be, and it's going to be so everyone who knows me is just going to be, damn, they nailed it. You know, they're all going to be really sad. Presumably that I'm dead. Presumably. But, you know, people, it's hard to tell when they're really sad when you're dead, you know? Like I love I learned this, like there's that great scene in Groundhog Day, which I've been obsessed with for like about a month now, speaking of like uh, uh, lockdown obsessions, where like right after Bill Murray's killed himself a whole bunch of times, like Chris Elliott's just like, you know, he was he was a really good guy. I I, I liked him a lot. <laughs> I think there might be some people that say that about me, you know, where you're like, do they really mean? I don't know? I
1: don't know. I love those moments of like personal clarity when you're like, this is going to be on my gravestone or like when I, I came up years ago and my, um, you know, my, my comedies evolved since then, but I came up with the title of my, uh, my memoir,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, years ago and it's just in your pocket and you're nice. like, this is, this is evergreen when I need it, it'll be there.
0: I think titling is actually really under valued skill when it comes Thank to writing you. i remember i had a fantastic i had a fantastic english professor what was her name kelly something which was like my very first english class where like i walked in there my head full of like all this nonsense of thinking i knew everything and me and like within the first few weeks it was just like she uh, disabused me of that notion very well which i think is probably the role of most like first english professors and in, in should university.
1: be if it's not it should be
0: yeah, it definitely should be. And, uh, um, and I actually had another one of my English profs on the pod. I'm hoping to have uh, her on again soon, Professor Julie Rack. She's great. Um, but anyways, I had, I remember we had to read an essay that someone had written about, what's the author? Who wrote Joy Luck Club? I can't remember. I've never read Amy it. Amy Tan. Exactly. So there was a, there was a, an essay someone had written about Amy Chan's Joy Luck Club that we read. Tan.
1: Tan, Tan is sorry.
0: in color. Tan is in color. And, uh, and I titled my essay something like... Uh, uh, thoughts on an essay i have read about a book that i haven't because i haven't because i hadn't read joy luck club i should i should get around to, to reading joy luck club one of these days um and she, Wait, i remember so- she actually specifically pointed out in the class she was like listen like isaac had a really good title which is really important because when you're a professor and you're reading 30 of these things if someone can give you a, a title that's memorable it helps you know because wow. like so otherwise I forgot, I forgot the title go ahead
1: Well, to clarify, you were told to write a paper about a book. No, just about an essay about the book. But were you assigned a paper about the book?
0: No, just about the essay about the book. Oh, okay. It was multi-layered, yeah.
1: Okay, I thought you were being, like, I thought you were fully owning the fact that you didn't to read the book. book.
0: Right. No, I didn't, I didn't learn, I didn't learn that you didn't have to read the books in English class until much later. (laughs) <laughs> that took me until about three years to realize I was like you know what I could just I, I don't feel like reading it right now you know what in three or four years when this is all past it did my, my rearview mirror I'll go back and I'll check out this you know Gertrude Stein or whatever I don't think I ever read the autobiography of uh, Alice B. Toklas cover to cover I, That's another Stein, thing to read.
1: I have I got a book of hers that was like about writing and she's like she's intentionally an asshole like she makes herself intentionally hard to read which I respect as an artist I respect Mm. I'm not going to get all the way through it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll
1: dip in and I'll dip out. Mm.
0: I definitely liked a lot of the other books in that same class though. Um, So you studied Mm -hmm. anthropology though, you were mentioning, which I find really interesting. So like, had you just, had had your father just exposed you to all kinds of Indiana Jones movies and whatnot? And were people in the house just running around with hats and whips or something? And it just, you (laughs) you got into it by some kind of cultural osmosis?
1: Um, I did just have, just remember a, a really infuriating story that i'm going to share okay um so when indiana jones and the uh kingdom of the shia labeouf came out
0: yeah right
1: we went to see it and <laughs> this is i feel like this is just get me a discounted therapy we're walking in to the theater and it's me, my mom, my brother, and my dad. And we're walking, I'm gonna lean into the mic to make sure that this doesn't, that we don't miss this. He's walking, grown ass man with his family, under his breath going, ta-ta-ta-ta, tum-ta-tum, tum 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 The entire, like as we're walking down, it is the most, picture being a teenager it's he, the most m- infuriating
0: yeah it's like a living death you're just like come like, now
1: it's it's, it's also it's, but it's
0: kind of hilarious I mean for I'm sure for him it is hilarious. yeah
1: it is but it's like you know it's like oh yeah you're the only one who thought about like who thought the song was catchy you know like
2: mm.
1: he's embodying it's a cliche and he's it's, ugh, it's just it was made me want to crawl out of my skin
0: Mm, yeah, I, I would have run for the hills myself. I mean, you know, I, John Williams did, did do amazing work. I never appreciated that until I saw Raiders on the big screen, actually. And then I was like, you know what, the soundtrack to this movie is just balling. And like everyone's like goes on and on about George Lucas, this amazing storyteller, blah, blah, blah. And like, sure, it's accomplished a lot. But like, I think 90% of those movies is like the killer Wagner-esque soundtrack yeah and the, and the sound effects as well i feel that way about star trek as well i feel like people say gene roddenberry oh visionary he changed the world it's like no the transporter sound effect changed the world the phaser sound effect changed the world those sound effects reached us in our hearts you know they touched a place in our hearts that like other things just could never reach you know
1: um i believe i provided audio examples what do the phasers and uh transporter sound like
0: The uh, the phasers like And then the the transporter is like, and then there's a really sweet sound effect for when the door opens. It kind of sounds like when you open like a vacuum packed container, you know, it's like, it's uh, it's amazing. Like this, all all the best, all my favorite characters on that show are sound effects. Um, So yeah, but you studied anthropology. Did you, were you, you you studied like ancient Egypt, you said and whatnot.
1: Yeah. So I studied, I went to, I went to, college and had to pick something and I uh I I think I just like happened to take an archaeology class just purely I I really don't think there was anything special that like pushed me toward it um but I loved ancient Egypt as a kid like I love, love 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 loved it um I really liked rocks like rocks and minerals
0: A lot of personality, you know, they're like, they're very reliable, you know, they don't They've got a lot of
1: personality And then their moods
0: don't swing, you know, it's not like, it's not like a chia pet that will just like, you know, all of a sudden just turn on you
1: Well, I, I, Isaac, I wasn't saying that rocks were my friends
0: Oh, sorry, Um, Yeah, they're mine, obviously
1: I, um, I wasn't looking for friendship in the rocks, I want to make that clear
0: Okay, that's just me
1: but it's just like, it was just, I can't, I could go on and on about rocks and minerals and why I thought they were the greatest. And I think in- Sedimentary
0: rocks? Uh, what, what, what kind of rocks were you most into like- uh,
1: I mean, this, the ship that Igneous is putting out there.
0: Igneous is pretty like, good. Igneous is Igneous really is good at
1: the top of its game.
0: That's the volcanic rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's like the rock and roll of rock, you know? It's like, you know what, it's motherfuckers? Ex- ex- how about we spew explosive. out at a thousand degrees, you know? That's like a Queen song. They're like the Queen song of rocks. Don't yeah, stop well, me. in the
1: metamorphic, I mean.
0: Fascinating, right?
1: I'm pausing for a siren. I don't know if you can hear the siren.
0: Yeah, you're so. in New York, right?
1: Yes, I New York, baby! Yeah. The loudest city in New York.
0: Those are obviously... Uh, state troopers going to arrest, uh, on their way to arrest Andrew Cuomo, I imagine. Could be nothing else.
1: Um, I do live in a neighborhood uh, with a lot of nursing homes.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Um
1: a- So it's, it's been a bleak year. I also live near a lot of, um, yeah.
0: To be honest, nursing staff. homes are, nursing homes are already depressing on uh, regular time. So think about it that way.
1: We could go um, on walkabouts before.
0: Sorry, retirement communities. Um, so you were saying you got really into rocks, really into Egypt. Have you like, like, what did you, did you drill down into that much where you thought, you thought you were going to be an archeologist, right? Like, a, yeah, not, not, I, not, I don't want to say Laura Croft. I don't want to say national treasure, but I can only view things through the lens of uh, movies that have been mum, out there. The Mummy. The, the Mummy. mummy. Mm. So you're Rachel Weiss.
1: I, yeah, I feel like hmm. I'm more Rachel Weiss's son just in The Mummy too, like, I'm just sitting on the scaffolding, just, like, trying to, like, hang out and do my thing. Right. Um, and then, like, my stupid uncle ruins it makes, everything.
0: It makes sense, because I see a little bit of the Brendan Fra- Fraser character in you, too, a little bit. You Thank know? you. Yeah. You know what my favorite
1: line is from The Mummy franchise? Please, please tell me. <clears throat> this is also my, the only Brendan Fraser uh, impression I can do. <clears throat> so, Benny... Hey, O'Connell, looks like I've got all the horses. Hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river.
0: What the fuck? <laughs> that sounds like two kids like yelling at each other in the 80s. That
1: that's, is that's definitely Egypt-
0: period appropriate.
1: That's the dawn of Egyptology.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The dawn of Egyptology is people fighting over stuff that isn't theirs.
0: Most uh like, them, like like napoleon you mean the napoleonic war and an expedition and whatnot that really well, was, was the start a, of egyptology wasn't it actually in some it ways it was the
1: same era so it went from i actually took a class on the history of, of near eastern archaeology so the ancient near east includes like what we now know as the middle east um, yeah
0: turkey anatolia yeah, uh, syria yeah. iraq yeah no i took a couple of classes right. in it too i mean but i know i know like when napoleon so the british were there I'm sure they were doing all, I'm, you know, I'm sure they were cataloging everything very carefully because they were planning on returning it back to the, uh, so the native Egyptians later on. Yeah. I'm sure there was no violent oppression going on at all no. in any way, shape or form. But then Napoleon came in and he brought his own crew of Egyptologists with him. He was like, look dudes, do we got the cannons? Yeah, okay, we got the muskets, cool. Do we have the provisions? Right on. Uh, okay, where are my Egyptologists at? I need like 12 more Egyptologists. For, we're gonna have this party. We're gonna go invade Egypt and then we're gonna study some uh, some runes. It's kind of remarkable when you think about it. It's a lot. It's actually an improvement on where we're at today, because now we just go in and we just destroy everything. Is it possible well, Napoleon the, was more humane?
1: If you're the New York Times, you go in and you take all the. They, the New York Times, will just go in and take all the documentation and and bring it back to the states. So it's, the New York Times is basically Napoleon.
0: Wait, what are you what are you talking about? That sounds interesting.
1: Um, in Iraq following the uh second bush's invasion mm-hmm. i have a really cursory it was background research for a show um mm. but the, the new york times left iraq with a bunch of documentation from uh, is it al-qaeda okay the taliban was afghanistan Ta-
0: taliban's afghanistan yeah well but the al-qaeda um, really wasn't in iraq though so okay. So
1: I'm wrong about it all ha- that.
0: It would have had to have been, it could have been Just like a milit- militant. Okay. The Saddam's party people. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Republican guard, perhaps.
1: There were documents. You um, <laughs> could Google it to find the real answer, <laughs> but we're not going to do that because we're pretending we're in a studio. Um, yeah. So during the, the war, um, the more recent war, um, the New York, times was in there covering it and they left iraq with all of these documents from mm. the government
0: like yeah yeah well, what you're saying you're saying the new york times might have done some bad stuff as well as as opposed to just being a completely uh, honest and uh, neutral and objective uh, interlocutor at all times they have some institutional power yeah. probably fair to say you know it's weird uh, though, because yes. we, have, we have the New York Times. And I feel like when Bezos bought the Wall Street Journal, it actually elevated the Times even more than where they already were. Because people are like, well, now Amazon owns the Wall Street Journal. so they're." Oh like, yeah,
1: well, it just lowered the down. floor.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Lowering the floor. That's what I'm going to call this episode, actually. Because <laughs> that's one of my personal mottos that I feel like people, that I really want to get out there for people. Like it's, it's worked really well for me to lower expectations. It's really empowered me to achieve less and feel good about it so um <laughs> no because i can't call it lowering the floor because then that that will be read as a as a slight to you we got to find another we got to find another title honestly we we're talking about titling sure. and titling shit is, is the hardest part of doing this podcast let's I mean,
1: keep let's keep going i'm sure i will say something eminently quotable
0: okay perfect um sure. go ahead i
1: will i will prioritize sound bites over substance
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, hey, I, I hey, definitely
1: sound bites. Sound bites over substance. There's a hey, title.
0: There you go. See, it just happened. We just, we just asked and we received. Thank you, thank you, oh great one, uh, the great Lord Wayne. Um, so what, what did you do? You, you went into nonprofit work after anthropology, right?
1: Yeah. So I worked. Uh, I had this vision of being uh, uh, working in museums, and I so I did Egyptology, and I was
0: you got you got Mostly, disinterested with museum work first and then went into nonprofit work. Yes. We had museum um, stories, I remember.
1: I've had several uh careers break my heart. Um Wow. And I can uh, I can hear
0: I can hear the ocean of melancholy behind that statement. That could actually be a good title too. Ocean of no. melancholy? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I've had a series of many careers break my heart.
1: <laughs> a little wordy.
0: A little wordy. Yeah, it's true. I say it's that, true.
1: you know, as, as a writer, you know, it's a, it's a loving critique. It's not meant to be critical, but a critique to be helpful.
0: I find that. Okay. That's useful. That's useful knowledge. Um, yeah. So, but you worked in a museum briefly before, after, after studying anthropology, like, what's that like? It seems to me a museum would have to be one of the weirdest, um, workspaces and also like kind of under a weird kind of pressure now, like I've talked with the previous guest about how like for example, a lot of academics who would, who were previously just historians because like the the work in academia for historians has really dried up a little bit. A lot of them are trying to like, they're told to go, you know, mix up your skills, go work in a museum, it's fine. And it's like, you can't, That's a whole different set of skills. It's just a weird, it's a weird thing to be like, anyone can go, anyone who knows about this subject matter can go and be curate something in a museum. So I imagine it's kind of a weird time to work at a museum.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would argue that it's always been a weird time to work in a museum because museums are, uh, museums are weird spaces. Um, I, so I studied museum like I did my thesis in college on museum anthropology. So it was studying the people who study. That was kind of my whole, I was like obnoxiously meta. Sure. Um, and uh, But I was really, I mean, the colonialism of a lot of our anthropology's history where it really just like stuck out to me and and I was like oh, okay I don't want to accept it I want to study it and I want to criticize it and I want to analyze it and um you know turn the uh, the lens onto mm. the people who because it's you know it's all power power play
0: mm-hmm. um and yeah. a lot of so-
1: uh uh anthropology and stuff um anywho
0: and then um, when, once you invaded the, uh, the established space with your kind of Maoist guerrilla mindset, uh, did you find yeah. this institution like uh, pliable to your efforts or did you, you know, did you mean with any dejection and resistance?
1: It's, you know, museums rely so much on low, on free labor, right? Because most of them are a nonprofit so they can get volunteers and, and interns. And so they literally are devaluing the work And so when you go and try and you have the background and you have the interest in making it your, you know, developing expertise in the field. Like I, you know, I'm not just a subject matter expert. I can learn about the subject matter, but I want to become an expert at being an educator, explaining. Mm. I would say, you know, museums are the semi-permeable membrane to Mm. academia. Things come in and out. It's not just making, you know, because you're making information when you're an academic. You're making facts. And museums are presenting that information to people. And so they're, you know, concretizing it. There's a role of creating facts in museums too. It's performative,
2: mm.
1: linguistic. Well, function. and the
0: way, you, the way you collect them and the way you present them uh, and the form of that presentation will affect deeply how people interpret the whole, the, the, the set of items, whatever it is, right?
1: Yeah, you're assigning it meaning by saying it's worth talking about um and so that was really interesting to me and um so the education I saw is you know this is a space where we can uh you're actually interacting with people who don't already know what you're talking about and that's where I saw a lot of room for for growth but the um I saw it as a space where it, it it's easier to be nimble it's easier to be nimble when you're interacting with people day to day. You don't have to take forever to change the physical environment or um, you can just react, well, not react immediately but you can you can change more quickly. And that isn't really the case. Um, so I worked as an educator um, but because so many museums have such an ample supply of free labor when you try to make a living and develop experience as a museum educator it's not built for um what's the like farm leagues right it's not built to uh really nurture a younger professional population it's really um it's honestly a lot like entertainment where you can be a pa on a show and stand you know in my neighborhood whenever they're shooting there'd be some poor pa standing there in a you know reflective vest blocking traffic in 10 degree weather and it's you're disposable
0: yeah um it reminds me also of uh like some of the like global nonprofit work like in places like haiti for example i've read articles that say, like look if you if you uh, if you're a Haitian person who wants to become a doctor, once you go and study and become a doctor, you're going to go out into a, a Haiti where all the doctors are from nonprofits in Western countries. So there's like, no, you can't be a doctor there, because these these other people have come up. And also, like, I think I think that's actually, but in terms of like people having their work devalued and working for free or almost nothing, and that that kind of tainting and actually affecting the whole process of what people are doing uh, negatively. Is something that you could see in like all kinds of industries, you know.
1: Yeah, it's everywhere, yeah. and and it's um, you know, you know that the work is important. You know, I started in college. I started, you know, working in museum, working volunteering, interning, um, and, and then I moved to New York for, you know, to intern. I got an unpaid internship at a museum, so I moved out here to New York, and I, you know, waited tables and interned the
0: dream the
1: dream <laughs> yep you know just like sp- uh,
0: you were probably actually honestly stoked to get that unpaid internship spot
1: oh i was thrilled yeah and and the way they talk about it is you know the uh i was i was i did informational interviews and i was like i want to work in museums in new york i want to work in museums in the, in new york and everyone said you have to get a new york institution on your resume They value it so differently, and so Mm -hmm. just having the line on my resume was like, "Oh, you're already in the club," so we trust. Which, like, I had a degree, I had experience, I had, I wrote a thesis on the on the fucking subject, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, you need to get in in order to be in. It's just like it's teleological. There's really no. um, It's like any industry.
0: I mean, it's probably like it's as, as an industry, but museums in particular, I'm sure, are so emaciated from uh, years of being underfunded. I mean, obviously, like you, you can't really have a museum without some kind of public funding or something. Like it requires that. It's probably never going to necessarily make its own money back. But like the funding is, has probably dried up uh, to a huge extent. It was probably never really there as much as it should have been in the first place. And then also these companies come in and they they will sponsor stuff and that affects things in a whole different way. But like Ugh, the whole yeah. the whole industry is probably emaciated to the point where if for you know if you're trying to get one of those fifteen spots, you know, um, it's it's exactly going to be the type of thing where you got to be in a club. You have to there's an in crowd. You know, regardless of how yeah exactly how well how well studied you are, how well how much how learned you are, what you've written. I mean, like is that meritocratic? You know, is that, is that a system that it's, rewards like ugh. people being excellent in their field? Like not exactly.
1: Well, and it's, this, I mean, it's the status quo, right? It's, um, I've, I've <laughs> some of my most recent museum rejections, like, you know, later in the game, I literally said, I had the inside track. I had that un-, quote unquote, unfair advantage. Mm-hmm you know, strike the quotes. I had the unfair advantage of, of knowing people for referrals and knowing people who worked there. And I still didn't get hired. Yeah. And yeah. my interviews went perfectly and my resume matched perfectly.
2: Yeah. And
1: I genuinely wanted to have the job and do the job. Yeah. And I knew someone to give me a leg up. And still there was someone else who had more of a leg up.
0: Heartbreaking. I mean, I, I would have been crestfallen myself, but like, uh... I would, I would, I think I would hopefully arrive at the realization that had it actually worked out that I probably would have been totally trapped in that position for like the rest of my life because I would have been holding onto it like grim death, you know?
1: Well, so that's, um, personally, like I had to kind of separate my identity from my career path because now, I mean, I'm, I'm working on some research that it's the type of work I I enjoyed about working in museums, you know, but it's, it's self-guided and, and I don't need an, an excuse to do it. And I can find ways to, to integrate it into my life. But I was you become so attached to the fact that you're doing important work. And yeah. they capitalize on that. And they take advantage of, of it when you're um, a young professional and you're hungry, and mm. you're genuine and you care and you're willing to volunteer and hustle outside of that. Mm. And it's, um, it's opportunistic. And it's, mean, they take advantage of you and um the quality of life isn't there and you have to really be willing i mean i compare it to stand up a lot of the time like mm. you're expected to go and run around i mean i tried stand up a little bit and i was like they ex- the the culture is that you're supposed to be willing to, to crawl through for. a
0: river of shit yeah
1: yeah crawl yeah. through a river of shit because it shows that you're you're dedicated and you're serious and like
0: those and those cultures are self-sustaining too like i'm yeah max to me like the guild system they had in the middle Ages it's just like oh this is uh i mean not that it was all bad the guild the guilds did some good stuff but it's like the idea that the person behind you has to go through the same shit you did just because you did you know we all had to go through it i mean fucking uh what's his face Uh, Harry was saying the same shit about the royal family he's just like everyone just told me you know it's it's tough for all of us we all go through it it's like guys like maybe let's reflect on how some of these institutions work yeah it's like I'm
1: sorry have you ever heard of a dialectic
0: Hmm. or like just like
1: hello dialectic much
0: independent thought how about let's just start there like what why I mean like and honestly it's with something like a museum or even comedy a lot of these things have a social implication as well so you could argue that all of society suffers when these things are undervalued or underfunded or just yeah. never not allowed to reach their full potential or expression you know
1: yeah well and it's um you when you were talking earlier about like funding in museums like I uh Know that's that's like the party line, right? Is like, oh, we don't have enough money, there isn't enough money, there's never enough money.
0: Classic. And yeah,
1: and it's a line that you know, I looked up the 990 for all of the nonprofits I've ever worked for. You can (laughs) you can look up.
0: What did you find?
1: (laughs) Well, let me tell you what I found. You can this uh PSA to everyone, uh, you can look up any nonprofit they have to file. Uh, t- their tax form and they have to report the highest the the pay that the highest paid employees like any executives and then the highest paid general employees
0: are you, are you telling me that people working at nonprofits would could possibly be making anywhere near above the average or mean for their field
1: i well that oh see that's the that's the trick that yeah. is the trick they are not paid above the average mm. because it's it's a it's a fucking cartel right when they offer a salary to a ceo the excuse that they use and i've seen this in you know so like oh so and so is criticized for their pay and it's like we they the form basically form letter rebutting it was like we pay the the market it's you know the market rate for a ceo yeah and they just agree it's like collective bargaining for the mm. fucking management
0: mm. maybe we should put nonprofits in charge of the cartels or maybe like cartels should be run as nonprofits because there's it seems- something
1: there. Work on it. Work on yeah, it. I'm get back workshop to me. That. Okay. But so, but so you can look up how much they make. Yeah. And I worked at um, I'm going to name names because fuck them. Uh, I worked for uh, Housing Works, which is a uh, nonprofit that grew out of the early AIDS epidemic in New York it was ACT UP and then the housing branches okay housing okay. works yeah
0: sure there's I've a, a chain of thrift,
1: yeah there's a chain of thrift stores and there's a bookstore cafe and there are volunteers there are part-time bari- uh, no actually full-time baristas There are baristas and then there is a cafe manager and I was I did all of those things I eventually was cafe manager okay and they underpay you you ask about more money, and they do the whole like, "Well, this is what that job pays."
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And then the executive gets, I want to say, like a hundred and fifty thousand a year. Sure. Which, if he got a hundred and fifty thousand dollars last year, then maybe this year he gets paid a little bit less, and someone else gets part of that. It. It's just like, no, it's it's insulting. Um,
0: it's it's just, it's change around the edges of something that's. Um... And I think uh, I heard Richard Wolf talking about this uh, as well. You know, like you can set up a nonprofit or even say like a worker-owned cooperative, but if structurally this, the work is kind of structured the same way and the relationships between people is structured in the same way where you have the CEO making 150 grand and everyone else like in a nonprofit where they can rely on volunteers a lot just by exploiting their goodwill, you know, that's going to act, you're going to see the same downward pressure, probably in this case, even more downward pressure on the wages of the people at the bottom. So it's like, how much are you really changing the world in that way? You know?
1: And they, I mean, there people of, who know more about the the history of it have written about it, you know, more about it than I do. But, you know, they don't the people running the nonprofit don't see themselves as part of the problem. They mm. see themselves as part of the people fixing society's problems. And so when you confront them, like Housing Works employees did the past couple of years trying to unionize. Mm. <clears throat> Um, th- uh, new game show. What was management's reaction?
0: Uh, well, we treat you so well. Why would you? Why would you need a union? Or did they ding, inspire them all? Okay, yeah,
1: ding. yeah.
0: Well, yes, it's the same, yes. There's the same like uh, three or four reactions. It's pretty. It's pretty standard. They're like, oh, well, like think about all the money I'm paying to keep the lights on. Um, we treat you so well. We're a family. I like the family one a lot. Oh, yeah. I also, I also like the whole like if you just do this now, later on you know oh I was Mm -hmm. in your position before and then I became this so yeah kind of care the not a carrot and a stick it's like you kind of just put like a grilled cheese sandwich on a fishing line and just dangle it in front of them
1: yeah it's chasing the rabbit at the dog track
0: yeah exactly um it's just it's it is yeah I'm sure but I'm sure like trying to actually talk about that people get super super defensive and bristle like hell because you, well, know, you don't... would be at that point invested in the idea that you're part of the, the solution and not the problem. Yes. and I'm sure there's great nonprofits out there. I don't want to paint them all with the same brush.
1: Hashtag not all. Hashtag not all nonprofits.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's there's definitely some problems there. Um, like, the, and and interest can kind of get entrenched. And the, the the government involvement element, like the government being involved in one way or another, is also like a really tricky problem. You know, like you don't like if a government is funding your nonprofit, it means they can defund it too. You know, so I think a lot of people struggle with, and like how much, how much, how much time is spent fundraising? Like, isn't like half the time spent fundraising or well, all the that's... time?
1: So yeah. You still got it, Hannah.
0: I don't know how much time you have. We're, we're coming up on about an hour here. We can go a little bit longer. I'll be honest, this, uh, this episode, I'm gonna have to edit myself out a lot. So it won't come out for a few days as well. Keep that in mind.
1: I, what, what was I, I was gonna tell you something. I'm so used to having to fight for anyone to let me talk in a public forum.
0: Tell
1: me about it. It's, you're hungry for it.
0: Yeah, um, you should start a podcast, and you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um, I started, I started podcasting just so I could uh, force a friend of mine to, like, talk to me regularly.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, no, you know, I,
0: I miss him. I want to talk to him more. I'll start a podcast, that, <laughs> and then we'll just be forced to be on Skype, like, every couple of weeks.
1: <laughs> Wait, what was the question? You asked me a question, and then I told you that the answer was worth ha- giving on air.
0: Oh, shit. It was about, wasn't it about the Ralph Nader Radio Hour? Hannah Feldman, associate producer of the Ralph, uh, what did I say? Did I say it right? Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Yes. yes. Why can't I say it? I think, honestly, I have the Rona because my brain is like even it's more weaker than usual. Um, something about the first time Ralph Nader gave you a compliment was really big for you. That was one anecdote we had to hit, but that wasn't it. There was something else. It's in the ether. Don't worry. We'll find it. We'll find it someday. You'll be listening to this. Well, I don't know why you would listen to this. Actually, it'll come to you later. Cause I,
1: lo- Cause I love the sound of my own voice.
0: Me too. Me too. But we wanted to end up with the work you're doing now.
1: Yeah. Let's let's close. Let's wrap with. Uh, yeah.
0: And are you going to be? Are you going to be appearing on um, the David Feldman show again? You think? I think. I think you've been on there what a couple of times now. Handful? I was on once. You were only on once. His own daughter, he won't let on. I'm I'm well, sitting there with my virtual hand raised like a, like a statue for five hours at a time. It's probably even it's probably the same for you. How how fucked up is that?
1: I don't watch. I don't watch his recordings. I well, don't I mean, watch his show.
0: You don't have <laughs> do you have 36 hours a week just like lying around?
1: Yeah, no. Should. Um yeah, just have it in the background. I, I do I do that with C SPAN. I just put C SPAN on in the background.
0: I mean, like, obviously the David Feldman show has turned into a bit of a cult of personality, but is a cult of personality necessarily a bad thing? You know? Like I think of Tom Cruise, for example, you know, he's accomplished a lot. He's one positive example, unequivocally. I don't think anyone Mm -hmm. would argue that Tom Cruise is making the world a better place, you know? No
1: notes. Excuse me, pardon my New York in (laughs) the
2: (laughs)
0: background. That's okay. It sounds like you're at like a, yeah, like you're inside a Fast and Furious movie. I um, love a
1: thrilling life. Yeah. Um yeah, I know. I mean, this is, you know, he's he's a performer. He's always been a performer as long as I've known him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh so there's a you know, there's a I've tried to something that I I kind of have a hard time uh I have a hard time talking to people with a straight face when they talk about him as a character. He he's he's my entire life. My dad's performed. Mm. And so I've been getting questions like one of my childhood best friends, uh, we were at a show that he did and we leave, and she goes, I didn't know you had a sister. Right. And I was like, I It's a I don't have a sister. It's a, have you ever seen a sister?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, people, so even, we're, we're really bad at, at distinguishing between reality and fiction at this point. I'm pretty sure that part of everyone's brains is kind of atrophied. I know mine has.
1: Well, and it's, you know, especially when, you know, he doesn't, he's a bad actor. But he, but there's this character version of him Mm. that he locked into ages ago. And so when he switches into it, you can't tell. And it's delivering, you know, it's delivering a line read really smoothly. Yeah. And so he'll talk about his two daughters and give no indication with nonverbal cues or the tone of his voice or anything to make you think that it's not, it's a seamless transition. There's no glitch.
2: Mm. Mm
1: and as much as I hate to compliment him on anything no like that's he's a really
0: sound of a good really, comic yeah
1: he's really good at that but then it's also like uncanny and kind of creepy when you are trying to suss out publicly
2: mm.
1: you know so that's where you can run into some trouble when you're trying to engage with a person and then there's a performance attached to it and it's been so interesting seeing this kind of hybrid emerge over the past year where you have people who are used to just passively consuming his Mm. performances Mm. and now you're engaging and Mm. there's him as a person blending with him as a performer.
0: Yeah. Very confusing, very bizarre. And I'm sure it is macabre. Yeah. I imagine it would be quite like effed up for sure. I mean, to be honest, even just like someone complimenting a parent is always mm-hmm. disturbing. So like, even just from the word go, um, but that's okay. You know, I, I you know, I'm I joke- your, I really
1: I, got in your head. I really got yeah. in your head with and that I, alphabetical.
0: Know, I, obviously, you know, he told me basically not in so many words, but he told me to fuck off cause I was Canadian, you know, this, but he's having a bad day. It's a little bit of static around the office. You know, I, I hope he still considers me a friend. I'm still a big fan of his work um, and all that. I don't, I don't want it to become a thing. You know, I'm not a passive aggressive or vindictive person. I'll never come to office hours again, but I'm not a passive aggressive or vindictive person at all. That's the main point. That's the main takeaway.
1: It's important that everyone knows that you're not a vindictive person.
0: If you say it, it's true, you know? No, but he is hilarious. So I imagine there was a lot of fun times as well mixed in. It wasn't just yeah. all cringe humor. Like it was a bit of cringe humor mixed with a little bit of trenchant political humor mixed with just abject silliness. That's what I imagine. Mixed with, you know, neglect and abuse and all the other stuff too, right? I
1: mean, he is a parent. Yeah, so that's just parenting. I've read the books. That's how one parents. Um, has,
0: he, has he read the books? I wonder. Probably not.
1: You,
0: he wrote the books. He wrote
1: the books. Um, well, no, and I would like just to kind of finish up on the subject because uh, the only reason this is the end of my like sincere, uh, sincere, heartfelt, heart to heart corner. Mm-hmm. You know, the only reason I I can even go to. You know, I've been coming to office hours and 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 kind of working with him on some of the benefit shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. The only reason I can do that is because we have a functional relationship, right? Like there were times where I was, you know, I'm 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, the past, you know, 10 years, I the way I relate to the world has changed a lot. And so five years ago, I could not handle sitting in a, sitting in a room and listening to people compliment my, t- it like mm-hmm. hated, it. it made me so uncomfortable because I'm like, you don't know. It's like, yeah, I have a real relationship with him. It's complicated. Yeah. And I'm like, well, he's he's yeah. not, just don't applaud him. He's well, not I, perfect. It's
0: public persona. I remember Terry Gilliam, the famous world famous director said the same thing. He's like, you know, when I go home, like nobody's impressed with me. You know, they're just like, oh yeah, yeah. dad's home. I don't give it. You're not Terry Gilliam, brilliant director. Like they don't give a shit about that at all. Yeah. Which is, I actually think a much more grounded and reasonable <laughs> attitude actually.
1: Yeah. I'm like, don't applaud opinions. him. He ate my cookies.
0: Did he now? See, now we're getting something. This is good. We're getting to, yeah. we're, uh, this is a big step. I'm, I think we, I think, I think that's really, I'm really glad we got here today. I really applaud you and your courage for talking to me about this. You know, you should really sure. give yourself some credit. Thank you. Yeah. You've been so great, Hannah. We have to have you on and I have to actually like have a little bit more of an organized uh, session I, of, of topics to, to cover. I um, crave
1: structure. Yeah. I,
0: I've i noticed like guests are either completely craving it in structure or just completely, they view it to be completely abhorrent. So I really need to start asking them structure or no structure, structure, or like the antithesis of structure. Cause that's all I you think, get. Those are the only two flavors we do.
1: You know, there's some people who like being handled mm-hmm. and there's some people who they, they're like, stop policing me. I want to punch you in the face. Yeah. And personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with nudging, you know, and I noticed you did this and I, I must give you the compliment. I noticed, you know, you, you, you started, you would occasionally nudge the conversation back to something better, more interesting, or just different. And oh. I think that's, that's, uh, you know, I rarely tell men to do this.
0: Okay. <laughs> so
1: men plug your ears. This is only om- this is a one-on-one conversation.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: You know this is your space
0: Mm -hmm. if you
1: want to steer the conversation in a certain direction you know don't be afraid to own that yeah you're a boss bitch.
0: i think that's what being an interviewer should be ultimately frankly sometimes it's not always uh it's very bizarre like the questions i hear people ask in interviews sometimes it's just like what is this like you had an argument with someone yesterday and you want this person you're interviewing to give you like the response back or something I'm learning as I go though.
1: I would say as an interviewee conversation partner um, you check yourself and let things roll and then you check me when I'm like going on and it's like all right we've expired this topic and this is a limited conversation can't just keep going forever and ever that's what friends are for and uh, a gentle nudge and I think a sign of uh, like when you watch bad late night interviews where they're like well you went on a vacation recently i heard where you're like no your publicist told them you went on a vacation and you yeah, want to that's tell the from story
0: the pre-interview yeah yeah i do i do like- want to get someone to do pre-interviews but only janine garofalo because she her character did it on uh, larry sanders so i would just enjoy that too much i don't think i could give her appropriate remuneration commensurate with her experience and skills though so that's gonna to have to stay to be stay in the realm of fantasy unfortunately sorry janine sell a kidney yeah that's true i've often considered it oh that person agrees Honk if you agree with selling a kidney. Yeah, but the, um oh, I appreciate the compliments. It's so nice. Uh it's so nice to be to have that as like a leavening agent to mix in with all the the dread and despair and um, you know people ignoring me. So much appreciated, Hannah. Just um, for you,
1: all other men, shut your fucking mouths.
0: Yeah. Well this actually, is not
1: your time. This is not your space. Shut up.
0: Next time I want to talk to you about that, actually, because I mean you listened to the last episode, right? And I kind of went on a rant about uh some racial matters, basically, Steven Crowder being a racist cunt. And uh, Ethan Hershenfeld admonished me saying, you know what, well, we're all white. And of course I would have pointed that out at some point too, but I want to navigate, I wanted to ask you, like, for example, maybe this is a future conversation because it could take a long time, but, you know, like, I think a guy who makes it his raison d'etre to, like, comment on women's issues is really insufferable and I can't stand them because it's really, like, it's not something that a guy should make his raison d'etre. But on the other hand, I also don't think men should be too uncomfortable to, like, weigh in as, like, an ally and speak in support of, like, dealing with some horrific shit that they, that they come across, at least if they're suitably humble and they add the appropriate caveats and they don't just, like, uh, take over the conversation with their own take. Is thats that... Is that Obviously, as a woman, do you think men also need to stop uh, f- phrasing questions to women with the prefix "as a woman"?
1: Um, thank you for as a woman. Thank you for the question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a. I'll, I have a short answer. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I, fine because we'll we'll
0: do a whole episode on it next time.
1: Um, cool. I I did. Um, I have a long yeah. There's a longer answer. I did hear that conversation between between you all, and um, I think you were both right. I don't think you were on different sides of it. I think yeah. there's a question of whether it's a, it's worth talking about, um, and then there, I think there's a question of um, who claims space. And so I think um, I've taught I've taught some comedy writing classes, and I, I tell everyone in my class, you know, if you're if you're going to ask for an audience, you can't be upset when they give you feedback. Mm. If you want to write stuff and write. If you want to work those muscles and write about anything and everything, keep a journal.
2: Yeah.
1: Anything that you ask any another person to consume, they're going to have thoughts on it, and because you've asked for their mental space, um, you can't just you you can't yeah. be um, incensed that you get feedback. So I think totally. So and I and the other side of that, I think, is you know whether it's podcasting or conversation at a party, right? Like if it's a public space where you're, if you're a man talking with people who aren't men, if you're white and you're talking with people who aren't white about something that affects you differently, I think it's worth giving up quote unquote airtime so that other people can claim that space without having to work so hard.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: listening to their perspectives rather than making it, you know, making it harder for for their voices to take up space um yeah. the other side of that and it, so i think that's more like the public facing stuff um the other side of that is i agree with you that people um white people should get comfortable talking about racial issues so that it doesn't become the burden of non-white people to talk to white people about racial issues you can google things you can try and, you know, there are people, there are BIPOC who have made it, made a point to put out information, to tell their stories, to educate um, other people about racial issues. Not every BIPOC wants to educate you, fellow white person, about racial issues. Yeah, But you become, you know, I think, If you are not, if you can't pass as a straight, white, able-bodied, neurotypical man based on what American systems, how American systems define all of those words, if you can't pass as that that thing, you're forced to be like a public figure. You know, you you become an ambassador for whatever other categories you embody. And so-
0: Totally, which I'm sure people find very tiring, you know, and even, and even there's like bad faith elements too. Like I saw Trevor from Champagne Sharks posting um, a friend of his who's a commentator, Asian woman, and and she'd been contacted by all these reporters to give commentary, just like a flood of requests. It was just like, dude, like, you know. I mean, are you, are you contacting this person all the, all, all the other days of the year to get their take on like Asian-American culture issues? Like, no, so like fuck off kind of thing, you know? Like it kind of yeah. becomes a weird industry in another way too, right?
1: Well, and it comes up, I've had this conversation, you know, I, I've been in the comedy world my whole life and I've had this conversation about writer's rooms and, and putting on comedians and, um, you know, I, the way I think, the productive way as far as I'm concerned to approach it is, it's not about bean counting. It's you want interesting perspectives. You want a diversity of perspectives. You want, you know, there's, an, there's the equity side of it where you'd like to bring some justice into the equation. You want to, to lift up, uh, you know, you wanna, you want to make right what's been done wrong. But at the fundamental level of the quality of the work you're doing, having perspectives that are different from your own are going to make things more interesting and Absolutely. have bringing in a voice that comes from a different perspective is a valuable addition to the conversation. And so, you know, to your point about going to, you know, uh, the, the uh, Asian American woman, um, to comment on broader social issues, like, yes, yeah, it's a different perspective. It's valuable.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, it's not just about diversity on paper. And I think Um, just to kind of finish up my long winded short answer. Um, (laughs) um, but I, yeah, I think it's important. It is important for, for people to get comfortable talking about, uh, you know, you're not talking about other people's experiences. You're talking about your own experience and, uh,
0: very good point. Yeah.
1: And I think it's, it's not about how bad it is for people who aren't me. It's, acknowledging where you are at and being willing to examine that is what actually what the exercise actually is Mm. we're not you're not talking about someone else you're talking about your own experiences and how the framework you know the the institutional frameworks in the society that that develops around it advantages you and therefore inherently disadvantages other people
2: yeah and
1: so that helps you get less defensive and it keeps, you know, it makes it so it's not the job of the people who are already having to work harder to make up for your advantages. I know, I think leveraging power is really important. And so if you know that you can claim space and you use the space that you claim to have conversations that, um, challenge the very structure that puts you there mm, um yeah. i think it's worthwhile i mean i would love nothing more than to get to the point where it is harder for me where if i can make an impact on on the systems that i'm a part of where it'll be harder for me as as a as a white girl to get a job mm. if it I, I would love to live in a world i would love to have that problem i'd love to have that problem
0: um I totally agree with you i think i think it's a, a fantastic perspective i uh uh, appreciate your commentary and we'll definitely, let's talk more politics the next time we have you on. And I'll, I'll now that I know you're in the structured category of guests, we'll make sure things okay. are, very, are very prim and proper and almost coquettish in their level of detail, you could say. No, I'll probably never be able to achieve that, but I'll work towards that goal.
1: I love a coquettish interview for you. Great. I love that for you.
0: Great. Um, Hannah Feldman, thank you so much for joining us for Night Rule, it was super fun. Uh, great to uh, meet you. Um, good luck with, uh, everything over there in New York and, uh, stay in touch, enjoy your weekend. And I'll, I'll shoot you a message when, uh, I've edited all my, idiocy, all my, all my fresh idiocy out of this episode. We'll wobble it down to about, you know, a solid like 15 minutes and, and I'm sure everyone's going to really enjoy it.
1: Awesome. Um, before we wrap, just do a quick plug. Um, I almost forgot. So, well,
0: I did. Um, forget, actually, but.
1: <laughs> we remembered and then we forgot and then we remembered. Um, some of the beginning stages, uh, researching and producing uh, a podcast based on the book "Killer Airbags," written by Jerry Cox, and it's about the Takata airbags that have been rolling out recalls for the past like four years, five years, six years—I don't even know how long. Um, so I'm—it's—it's it's a longer project. I'm doing some like kind of original uh, research and reporting for that. Um, so I would like to plug going to NHTSA.gov, that's NHTSA, and mm-hmm. checking either the VIN or the make and model and year of your car to see if there are any active recalls on it, because your car could explode. Wow, and, important info, um, yeah. Yeah, your car could explode. And um, recall notices are really, I'll talk about it. I'd be happy to come back on and talk about it in detail. But um, you can check out active recalls and then also look to see if there are any service bulletins on your car. Because those go out to dealers, but consumers aren't notified about it. Right. And a lot of issues that they don't want to, uh, the companies don't want to admit are safety defects will uh, will hide them as quote unquote performance issues. Oh my God. And, yeah. Um, it turns out corporations um, are liars and uh-huh. suck. And
0: corporations do have to- lawyers. Yeah. I think I, that's what I heard you say. Yeah. They do have lawyers.
1: They, yeah. They uh, liars, they lie. Oh, they're right. liars who lie.
0: Yeah, they're lawyers um, who law. Yeah. No, I'm just
1: joking. Um, um so yeah, anyway, definitely. So yeah. What were
0: those? Sorry, what were those two, two sites? Just plug those one more time. Those sound really important.
1: Yeah. NHTSA.gov. Um, and you can check out um, you know, you can put whatever make and model. I've looked up friends and family's cars and um, but the service bulletins and the recalls, those are both things that the dealers have to take care of for free. Um, so even if there isn't an active recall on it, you can bring it in. And a lot of these companies, especially with the Takata airbags, which is a total clusterfuck, um, they're so they've had so much public embarrassment that you can kind of you can nudge them into doing more work than they ordinarily would. Mm. Um, and then the book Killer Airbags by Jerry Cox, he's um was sort of the beginning of this research uh kind of rabbit hole for me um but he worked he was hired on as a consultant and then um they would rather lie than um take his advice so he wrote a book mm. and uh it's self-published so it's only available you know if you google it you'll find it but um yeah. uh if anyone listening it would has a consumer story or um would be in you know is educated on the subject or as a professor, anyone uh, on the subject or in the field? Um, I'm still doing interviews and the email for the show is total recall pod at cool. gmail.
0: Oh, I like that name. That's great. Um, yeah. And I think auto accidents are actually up in spite of what you'd expect during the pandemic, right? Isn't that true? Have you heard that? Like, I think people are just like, they're, they're driving to go get toilet paper and swerving around because it's blinding, like it's, it's cutting off their rear view or something. I don't know. I don't know how it's possible there's actually more accidents now than there were the previous have
1: year. you tried driving in a mask? It's really disorienting.
0: Oh, good point. Good point. No. I uh, the last time I drove in a mask, I was wearing like a Richard Nixon mask. But that's Ooh. a whole other story. No, no, I'm just joking. It was point break. I'm remembering point break, that's all it is. <laughs> okay, Hannah. So lovely to meet you. So lovely talking to you. We have to have you on again soon. Um and maybe once the the pod sounds really interesting so we definitely need to plug that more the next time we have you on and we can talk about uh so many more matters under the sun
1: yeah no i mean i'd love to come on love to come on and choose the shit i also love to come on and do a more specific i mean it's anticipated drop date is august because i'm right. really really going into it. I'm, a lot of c-span as i said i don't know if i mentioned i watch c-span a lot I watch a That's lot of okay. c-span
0: We should, we definitely have to talk about C-SPAN because C-SPAN is actually fascinating in in and of itself in like a really interesting way.
1: Did you know, you can just watch Supreme Court oral arguments. I spent yesterday listening to Nestle argue in favor, insist that while they may may be abetting child slavery in Cote d'Ivoire, technically the statute that they were being sued under does not apply.
0: Oh, well, that's nice. It's nice to know, it's nice to know that um, the uh, the legal system is doing its best to... uh... (laughs) buttress the, the child slavery system out there okay well you know I'm really glad actually because one of the traditions of the show is that w- one person on the call gets extremely depressed at the very end so um so that's fully appropriate Oof. that's this ivory what... that's ivory coast that we're talking about
1: yes ivory right. coast Côte d'Ivoire,
0: um, your French is
1: Côte d'Ivoire. Merci. Your, your,
0: your French teacher must be very proud of you right now merci Again. Yeah, see. Um, yeah, see. <laughs> okay well i'll catch you real soon enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh and thanks so much again all right cool
2: I'm not